everyone, welcome back. I hope you're ready for the word. It's going to be an awesome, awesome word today. Uh, the title of my message is The Greatest in the Kingdom. Have you ever wanted to do great things? Yes. I know I have. And I know that every single one that's either listening to me today or watching me in the future or watching us on Friday has had some desire to do great things. And in the kingdom of God, a desire to do great things is not a bad thing. It's actually a really good thing. And where, you know, I'm, I'm so inspired by people that we, that we, of stories of people that we hear uh, that are living today that do great and awesome things. And we can name them people in the church, people outside of the church. But, but sometimes when we go through scripture, you know, there are people in the Bible that really stand apart. You know, they, the thing, the stuff that they do, that they've done is so phenomenal that you can't even wrap your mind around it. I mean, just think about this, a 16-year-old boy uh, who was looking after sheep one day somehow finds himself in the middle of a battle, in the middle of a war zone and decides to feel compelled to take on a giant. I mean, that, that is incredible. And he ends up defeating a giant, cutting off his head, and then eventually becomes the king, the one of the greatest kings of Israel. His name is David. And we look at a guy who's a, who was a stammerer, a murderer, uh, a guy who had uh, low self-esteem, no confidence, uh, becomes one of the greatest leaders of Israel. His name is Moses. He leads three million people out of captivity into a promised land. I mean, the, the moment of, of Moses' life, the crescendo moment of his life of greatness really was when he was facing the Red Sea. He had nowhere to run and he had the Egyptians behind him who were pursuing to kill all of them. But in that moment, Moses does something that is written off and will be remembered for every generation forever where he parted the Red Sea. I mean, just think of that. Have you ever parted the Red Sea or any sea or any river or any water for that matter? It's a great thing. He's done something awesome. And we look at a guy by the name of Samson in the Bible. I'm just giving you stories of, of great people in the Bible. You look at Samson. I mean, this is literally, the story is literally out of a movie. The guy, is his hands are tied up with rope by the Philistines and he breaks, the Bible says he breaks the ropes and then he goes and finds a donkey, a dead donkey that is rotting away and takes the jawbone of a rotting cock, the carcass of a donkey and kills a thousand Philistines in one day. He kills thousand, one thousand people who full armor with spears, with weapons, and he uses a donkey's jawbone wow. to kill a thousand people. See, all of these people, we look through the Bible, there are, there are many of them that have done phenomenal things. But all of these people never really aspired for greatness. But they ended up doing great things. In the kingdom of God, there's a difference between having the desire to do great things and having a desire for greatness. Because having a desire to do great things comes from a, from, 
a place in your heart where you know that you can't do great things. You acknowledge that you are weak. You acknowledge that you are you you are not good enough. You have low self-esteem. You have no confidence. But then somehow, when you look through the stories of these three guys, you see in every story that the Holy Spirit comes upon them. The Holy Spirit begins to fill them. The power of God comes upon them. And they begin to do things that only God can do. But when you look at a person who has a desire in the kingdom of God, when you look at a person who has a desire for greatness, most of the times these people are, have a desire because they have low self-esteem. Having a desire for greatness is actually an issue of the heart. They pursue greatness in their life because they believe that greatness will actually add value to their life. I hope you understand what I'm saying. It's in the kingdom of God. It's a good thing to desire to do great things. But there is an issue with the heart. When you desire for greatness. Outside of God's plan for your life. See we need as, as children of God. We need to come into this place where we acknowledge. That we don't have it all together. We're not perfect. But we're being perfected. See, it is, we need to understand that it is God's desire for you to be great. But it is His desire to give you greatness. But when you desire greatness outside of the will of God for your life and outside the plan and purpose of God for your life, then there's a self in the place where God should be. The main ingredient for greatness, the main ingredient for you to do great things is really God. Never self. I want to I wanna re-emphasize this. There is nothing wrong with you desiring to do great things. The desire for greatness outside of the will and purposes of God for our lives is a mindset that is really based on self. It's a mindset that really does not focus every single day on fulfilling the desires of God for our life. What is my desire? I, I want to be great. I want to be a pilot. I want to be this and I want to be that. I want to be a, the president of the country. I want to be a lawyer. I want to be a doctor. I want to do these things. Why? Because somehow when I, I feel like when I do these things or I accomplish this thing that I'm setting my heart out to do, I will be great. I will be someone. I will feel something. I will feel worth. I will experience value. People will value me if, if I have a CEO's title. People will value me if I have a, a managing director's title. If I'm a business owner. People will value me. People will honor me. People will me, 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 me. But when you aspire to do great things, self is never the focus. God's will is the focus. And we see now in the Gospels that the disciples are having a dispute amongst themselves. Hello. Why are they having a dispute? It's because Jesus chooses three of his guys, the three stooges, 
<laughs> or the three musketeers, whatever you want to call them, his best friends from the pick of 12, Peter, James and John, and he takes them up the mount called transfer of where he experiences the transfiguration. And these three guys look at Jesus and they're like, oh my goodness, what is happening? They see Jesus in all of his glory. They see him full of glory. And then they hear God speak and say, this is my beloved son. Hear him. Hello. God is talking to the three guys and he's saying, listen to him. There's a reason why he brought you here. And so now they come down the mountain. Jesus says, hey, listen, don't tell anybody what what you just experienced. They come down the mountain and Jesus is healing the sick. And somehow now there's this ruckus that is happening amongst the followers of Jesus. I can assume and I believe this is my theory. You don't have to believe it because it's not really in scripture. But I believe that somehow there was a discussion over there between these three guys and the rest of the disciples as to who is the greatest in the kingdom. Who amongst them, not Jesus now, not the world, who amongst the disciples are the greatest? Hello. Jesus is with them. The son of God is with them. And they're talking about who is the greatest. Why is that? Because they experienced a moment of greatness without a purpose, personal purpose from God for their life. You see, the focus becomes self when there isn't a plan of God for their life. And so now a dispute begins. And so now they're having this dispute. And because they cannot come to a conclusion. I mean, I would have loved to be in a conversation just to listen to these guys going, Hey man, I'm the greatest. No man, I'm the greatest. Look, he took me up the mountain. No, no, I'm his favorite. I'm the greatest. I will be the greatest. Amongst all of you guys, I'm the greatest. And so now everybody seems to be the greatest. And there's like all division happening there. And so they decide now. Okay, the one who will solve all our problems, Jesus, because he's the greatest. And so they go to Jesus now. And Luke says Jesus reads their thoughts. He, He hears their thoughts and he addresses it. But I want you to go to Matthew chapter 18 because I love the way Jesus addresses his disciples. And verse 1 says this, At the time the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then? is the greatest in the kingdom of God. Who then? If not us, who then? You you see the pride there? You see self? Self is talking there. Who? Apart from us, we are the greatest. I mean, you are the son of the living God. You chose us. We must be something. Then Jesus, you know, I love Jesus. I hope you love Jesus too. Verse 2 says, Then Jesus called a little child to him. Very important words. Jesus called a little child to him and set him in the midst of them. And said, assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted. Now that word converted, I don't like the word converted because God does not convert you. But he's saying, unless you change your ways, unless you change and become As little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. This is pre-Jesus crucifixion, okay? Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. 
whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. Wow. Hold on a minute, Jesus. We were talking about we were the greatest and now you bring somebody who is not even, who is so dependent on their parents. Like, I mean, right now, if I were to, if, if, the, if, if I were to have a chat with all the parents in our church, uh, you know, uh, and I would bring their child in the midst and I would say, hey, parents, if you want to be the greatest in the kingdom, you have to become like this little child. The parent of that child would say, pastor, please. I uh, I know that child. The, I know how that child back answers me. I know how that child is brash. I know how that child spends so much time on video games. How he only wants to play, wants to play, doesn't listen to me, doesn't do his dishes, doesn't do his books, doesn't do his bed. I can tell you everything about that child that should disqualify that child from being the greatest. But Jesus is not talking about child likeness. He's not talking about being childish. He's talking about being childlike. He's talking to these adults who are, I'm the greatest, I'm the greatest, we're not the greatest, I'm the greatest, as being like that child. He's not talking about being like children in general, but he's talking about being like that child. What was different about this child? Jesus, while they're having all these discussions, he calls the child to him and the child comes. You see, it's not in the childishness. Jesus is not saying become childish like these little children, act like a fool, do whatever, you know, eat your food, it comes all over here, you know, let your drink something and fall all over your t-shirt. He's not talking about adults doing that kind of stuff. He's talking about when I call you, will you come? He's talking about when I set the child in the midst of them, that child stayed. Can you do that? What he's, in essence, what Jesus is trying to say right now to us is, if I call you, will you make up reasons to come or not to come? Do I have to prove myself that I am God in order for you to follow me? Do I now, when I say, John, you got to live in Dubai, I'm setting you up there. Will you question my judgment over your life? Oh, I'm getting to a good place for us today. See, because humility is not seen in how humble you act. But humility in the kingdom of God is seen in how you respond to God and how you stay in that state until he says move. See, because God is pointing to to that child and saying, hey guys, it's not about who strives for greatness, but can you see that obedience to my word, simple things, come here, stay here. And allow me to show you off to people. Can you do that? Because that is the beginning stages of you doing great things in the kingdom of God. God looks at that as greatness. He points to that and he says, you want to be the greatest in the kingdom? That's what you need to do. What is that God? When I call you, you come. When I ask you to stay, 
You stay. Don't question it. Don't run around. Don't try to fast and pray. If there is another will of God for your life, when I plant you somewhere, stay there. Come on now. When I call you, come. That's what he's trying to say. Humility. If you become humble, like a little child, have the attitude of a child, That when the father calls, just stand, run. You're so eager to please him. Doing great things begin with obeying God in the little things. And so he's pointing to this child. And he's saying, guys, you are going to do great things. In fact, you're going to do. Jesus says, you should do greater things than what I would do. It is my mission. My mission and my vision for your life is that you would do greater things than what I have done. That is the vision that Jesus has for his disciples, but they're caught up in, I'm the greatest. I'm the greatest. I'm greater than you. You're greater than me. And we're having this discussion and God's like, guys, the greatest in the kingdom is the one who humbles himself and seeks my face and is obedient to me when I call him. Because see, a a, a humble person is a person who is so submitted to the will of God that nothing else exists except the will of God. There's no logic. There is no proof needed. I am fully belonging to him. I belong fully to him. When I was reading through the Greek of this, the Greek meaning of this word humble or humility, it is, it is, the, it is the word tapinoo, okay? And it means to make oneself low. We make a choice to make ourselves low. This is not only with God, but also with God's people. When you're around people, like like the disciples were fighting to be greatest, but the one that God looks as the greatest is the one who makes the choice to say, I'm not striving for greatness. I'm striving for obedience. I'm striving to just obey God in everything that he says with the simplicity and purity of my heart. The kingdom of God is an inside out, upside down kingdom. Which means if you're thinking with the logic of the world, then the kingdom of God is very confusing. But if you're in the kingdom of God, then you'll understand exactly what I'm saying. I'll give you an example. If you're looking for a job, a secular job, I mean, most of us have gone for for interviews. If you go for an interview, you've got this paper that you write all the good things. They don't write, you know, in ninth standard, I failed. And, you know, that stuff, they, they, don't, they don't talk about the red lines they got under. You know. They write all the good things and they present it to people and, and as their worth. Basically, you're putting what you're worth on a piece of paper and then you're going for that interview. And now at that interview, you're really communicating your worth to them. You're actually selling your words to them so that they can pay you a wage and they can see, okay, your worth adds value to my business so that now I can pay you a wage for your worth. That is understood in the world. That's like, hey, listen, that's how it works. But in the kingdom of God, it's the opposite. If you communicate your worth, it's, it's pride. Oof. 
In the kingdom of God, selflessness is a greater value than self. All the accomplishments, the medals, the education, all of that stuff, Jesus says, is filthy rags. I'm thinking to myself, I've spent 21 years of my life studying, thinking that I am going to be somebody big. One day I'm going to do awesome things. And to God is like, hey, listen, you're just spending 21 years building filthy rags upon yourself. Hey, this is the kingdom, okay? No offense to people who love studying. And, you know, I I love studying. I I love reading now uh, and uh, now. And um, (laughs) uh, for me, I I love studying God more than the opinions of man. That's just where I'm at. But I really believe that when people get academically very sound, there is a a pride that comes from self-worth. And in the kingdom of God, it's just the opposite. You want to be great in the kingdom of God? Hello, don't bring your qualifications. Don't bring your degrees or, or your, uh, you know, your excellence of speech. Or every, the training that you've had, you know, training that you've had to be a pastor who can eloquently communicate the word of God so that people don't look at a flaw in your life. I mean, oh my God, that is, that is God looks at it as filthy rags. But when you position yourself, humility means to position yourself as someone who is lowly, not lonely, lowly. We normally assume that for people to like us, for people to be attracted to us, for people to to add value to our lives, I've got to show worth. In the kingdom of God, it's just the opposite. When you don't show worth, they add value to you. In fact, heaven begins to look at you as someone that needs help. Hey man, look at John. He has just absolutely no value. Let's just add value. Oh, come on. This is the kingdom of God. It's it's the upside down, inside out kingdom. They, they, They think very differently. And when you're in the kingdom of God, you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Now there is a complete shift in your mindset. Now I'm not telling you go for your job interview and say, I am not worth it. Hello, you won't get your job. It's a different system. It's a different world. It's a different organization. You've got to study. Please, I'm not telling you not to study. You've got to do your MBAs and your degrees and all that kind of stuff and specialize in whatever field you you feel God is calling you. Do it, but don't get full of pride because of it. See, true loneliness is the state of maturity of the heart that is Fully dependent on the Lord. True lowliness is the state of the heart that is fully dependent on the Lord. When you're fully dependent on the Lord, you are dismissing an alliance with self. When you are dependent on the Lord, you're dismissing an alliance on self-governance. Self-governance and also you're dismissing your alliance with your ego man. See, the, the, your, self, um, uh, uh, your self-governance is, I am the governor over my life. I decide what's good for my life. I decide where I will go. I will decide what I will do. I will decide. You can, and there is no harm with it if you're 
But if you're in the kingdom of God, it's a little different because you're alive because God has a plan and and he has a purpose for your life. But when you're when you're when you're not in the kingdom of God, you people do have plans for their life and that's absolutely fine because if you don't have a plan, you don't have any direction, you don't end up doing anything good. So rather do something good and when God gives you a plan for your life, then you need to learn to abandon that plan and embrace his plan for your life. And a lot of people, Christians are stuck in this place. I want to be a businessman, but God has called me to be a pastor. Hello, what do I do? See, true loneliness is the state of maturity of the heart that says, God, I am not dependent on myself, my ability to govern my life or my ability to depend on myself. But I fully depend on you. See, for self-governance and self-dependence, when you, uh, when you, when you have self-dependence and self-governance, it produces results in your life. But when the, you experience success in that area, in that life, in that area of your life, when you have self-governance and self-dependence, now that becomes the foundation of the ego man in your life. The foundation of the ego man is based on pride. Self-governance and self-dependence is the foundation of pride in your life. Because you are so full of your accomplishments, you're confident because of your accomplishments. Don't think it's confidence, it's actually pride. But God is calling his children to not be full of pride, but actually be lowly, humble yourself. Don't think that your qualification can actually take you two steps into heaven. In fact, your qualification does not do anything before God. God qualifies you. And that is something that we need to celebrate because I love being unqualified. I love being the last in line. I love being the smallest. I love being nobody. Because when I'm a nobody, I put my faith in his body and he makes me somebody. When you have self-dependence and self-governance that arises from experiencing success in your life, that becomes the foundation for the ego man, the old man, the man that died on the cross to be able to function in your life, to have a, a, a firm grip over you. But Jesus is, is saying, hey, listen, in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24, he's, Jesus says this. He says, hey, guys, I, I'm, I'm just this is the John version of, of Jesus' teachings. He says, hey, guys, if you want to follow me, pick up your cross and follow me. Huh? What cross? Pick up your cross. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. Deny self. He's saying the very thing that you are super qualified about, you're super confident about, deny it. He's saying deny it and follow me. Deny it, pick up your cross and follow me. What is he saying? He's saying, he said, choose to ally yourself, align yourself with me by losing your alliance with self-dependence and self-reliance. When you do that now, I will be able to use you. 
See, a lot of times people have a lack of confidence in their life because they are not qualified. Or they don't have the experience. In the kingdom of God, when you don't have the experience, when you don't have the qualification, you're qualified. He looks at it as that you are the perfect candidate for the job. But in his kingdom, not outside, in his kingdom. And see, all of these things come when you live a life of humility. God, you position yourself before God by saying, Really God, I I have done things in my life that I'm not proud of. I have done things that I am proud of. I did win that 100 meter race. I did win that javelin. I just, I win, I won, you know, the state championship. I did that. I won the hockey game. I won that cricket tournament. I, my name came in the paper, God. I can't help it. I was, I was awesome in those days. But if my my future decisions are based on my past success, then I'm setting myself up for pride. I'm setting myself up for something that can fade away. But if my decisions, my future decisions, my present decisions and my future decisions are based on what is God saying to me right here, right now, what is God saying about my future, then now I position myself saying, okay, not my will, but yours be done. Do you understand? Jesus makes a prayer and he says, God, this cup is a cup of suffering, but not my will. Which means Jesus had a will not to drink of that cup, not to go to the cross. But then he said, hold on a minute. It's not my will, God. You sent me here for a purpose. What is my purpose? My purpose is to die on the cross on behalf of all of humanity. In fact, my purpose is to die on the cross as humanity. My purpose is where they are disqualified before God. My responsibility as Jesus Christ is to make them qualified before God. That's why we can say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Not in any saint, not in any idol, not in any religion. But in fact, I am confident only in Christ. My confidence is not in my own abilities, but my confidence is in His ability in and through my life. Amen. Jesus on the, one of the first few sermons that Jesus preached was upon a mountain and it's called the Mount of Beatitudes. It's a beautiful, deep, deep teaching. But the first thing the guy says, the first thing that Jesus says, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. When I read it for the first time, I remember going, I think Jesus wants me to be poor. Jesus likes me being poor. Ladies and gentlemen, that's wrong doctrine. Jesus doesn't want you to be poor. In fact, he wants to make you rich. Rich, not just money, rich in every area of your life. A holistic life is what really God wants to give you. You need to come to a place where he says, blessed are those who are, who are poor in spirit. Poor in spirit means that you are spiritually bankrupt. Spiritually bankrupt. Like it, it means that where you, you acknowledge that your spirit was dead. You acknowledge that without God, you are nothing. You acknowledge you, 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 your conscience has been set with this mindset that 
hey, listen, without, I know without God, I am nothing. Who am I trying to qualify myself by trying to sell myself with lies and with, with impressions that people have had about me? Who, who am I trying to try and get a job or trying to get a girlfriend? You know, you know what, how, what I mean? We, we try and act like, you know, we're not who we really are just trying to get a date or trying to get somebody for the prom dance or you know you know you know stuff like that we do we try to put on extra 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 makeup so that we look extra extra like somebody else and then suddenly you know when the guy sees us in the mall and then he doesn't recognize you and then you're so disappointed your heart is broken because the guy because you, you look completely different <laughs> Hey, I, I'm just being real. You know, this is this is this age problems. You know, <laughs> and so and so we we try to put on this like social media, like oh look at me, like my my, my world is perfect. You know, but trust me, when you go to their house and and we're, we're unannounced and you knock on the door and we're like, oh wrong house. <laughs> I think I came to the wrong house. No, no, you're the right house. Come, come in, come in. Have tea. No, 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 no. I don't want. I don't like what I see. <laughs> We're so disappointed because the reality and the make-believe world are two different things. But we make this world up because we want people to accept us. We want people to love us. We want people to add value to our lives. Tell me that I'm worth something to you. Tell me that, I, that you love me. Tell me that you like, 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 love, heart, heart, heart. Thumbs up, thumbs up, thumbs up. Give me that like, brother. Give me that like. Because somehow that electronic light makes me feel, you know, worth something. Come on now. Somehow we've lost this desire of humility before God, where God is the one who gives us the value that we deserve. God is the one that gives us value that was meant for Jesus to us. The value that he has for Jesus is what he values you if you only choose Jesus. The way, he is the way. Jesus is the only way. There's no other way to God. And when we choose Jesus, when we choose to stay humble to Jesus, when we choose to stay, to, to obey his words, that's when we understand that God values us more than any human being on the planet that can value us. And he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Poor in spirit. You're bankrupt. You have no way you can pay your bills, buddy. There's no way you can pay that debt off. But I know somebody who paid your debt off on your behalf without you even knowing or even asking for it. That's how much he loves you and values you. That's how much you mean to him. See, we need to really position ourselves before God because he values you. And we need to position ourselves in humility before God because he values you more than the than the valuing or the honor that man gives you. Today, you do something good and they like you and they value you. Probably a like or maybe a heart. But what about his heart? What about God's heart for you? How much does he, do you know how much he values you? Jesus says, hey, listen, a friend, you know a friend by the way he gives his life up for you. You know the people around you, the social, you know, the club, the scene that you have. How many of those people really give their life up for you? 
How many of those people have sleepless nights trying to solve your problems? How many of those people in your life really are on, on, on your speed dial when you can call them at any time and you can say, hey, listen, I'm struggling right now, man. Can you help me? Or are you on their speed dial? You're having a good day. You're driving a Ferrari today because you rented it and everybody seems to love you. But they actually don't love you. They love the rented Ferrari. In the book of Matthew chapter 23, he makes a phenomenal statement. I'd love for you to go there. Matthew 23 and 11 and 12. He says this, but he who is the greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Come on now. And he who humbles himself, humbles himself will be exalted. Wow. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. So a lot of times, you know, people have, Christians have taught, pastors and leaders have taught a, a leadership lesson. If you want to become the greatest in the kingdom, then you've got to serve. You've got to show that you are humble. There's a, there, there are leadership lessons like that. Pick up the towel, brother, and serve everybody if you want to get into this team. Listen, I've done this myself. I, the reason why is because I also picked up the towel and I tried to serve because I wanted to show the leadership team that I was humble. But actually speaking, I wasn't. I was just looking to get in, man. I was just looking to be one of the, one of the guys in the team. But Jesus is not actually giving us a, a recipe or a five-step program to become a successful leader, but he's actually teaching us about something. He's saying, he who is greatest among you is the one who is serving. He's highlighting to us that greatness is not in the one who is sitting at the table. The greatest in the room is the one who's serving those sitting at the table. We look at we look at we look at people and we're like, "Wow, man, you are you're sitting at you must be Jesus's favorite disciple. You are the one that Jesus really 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 loves." You were the one leaning on his chest. Hello. Let's just let's just see look at what Jesus is saying. Not what the disciple is saying, what Jesus is saying. A lot of people go across uh, say things like, "Hey, hey, I, I am God's favorite." If you are God's favorite, you must be the least of all of humanity. See, Jesus is saying when you're in a room, Look at the one who's serving without a reason to be great. Look at the one who doesn't need instruction to serve, but walks in and is so humble that they see themselves so lowly that they, they qualify themselves as, hey, listen, I, I, I need to serve the people here. See, uh, you know, we, we've, we've made Christianity opposite. 
and we've created a leadership structure out of this verse and we say oh listen hold on a minute whoa 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 if you want to become humble then you got to serve no 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 the what jesus is trying to say to us is you'll recognize the humble by them serving you will recognize the humble you will see the one who is the greatest in the kingdom by them serving they're serving they're not serving because they want to be great they're just serving because they love being servants they love serving people they love serving the kingdom of god because that's where god placed them but there's a there's a there's a mindset that we need to have that we when we walk into a room when we walk into church when we walk into our life group that we look to be served why because i feel like you need to add value to my life hello in the kingdom of god everyone should fight everyone to serve everyone it's not only the pastor's responsibility to serve the church hello it's everybody's responsibility to serve one another the commandment is not pastor love your congregation as your congregation loves you no no it's love one another as god has loved you but it is pride that will hinder you from serving it is pride that will hinder you it's selfishness that will hinder you from really fulfilling god's plan for your life selfish desires i want to be somebody i want to yeah. no stop whining and position yourself at the feet of god and ask him god what is your purpose for my life ask him god what am i doing here i'm qualified in the world i can do this job in the world i can communicate i can go out and i've had this much of experience i can do stuff in the world but what am i doing here John, you're serving people. You're serving them by sowing my seed into their life. You've got to understand that it's a service. The greatest in the kingdom of God are the ones who serve and don't need a reason to serve. They continue to serve because their heart is completely sold out to the one who is the greatest servant of all. And I want to encourage each one of us to really pick up our cross, deny ourselves. Just deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow him. Deny self-dependency and deny self-governance. Are you telling me John that I cannot make decisions for my life? No, you can make a decision based on what God has decided. Don't make a decision if God hasn't spoken to you. Because you will end up going down a really dark path that God's light doesn't shine. But he will find you there. He knows where to find you. And like David says, even though I go through the darkest valley, I know your presence is with me. Even if I'm in Sheol, you I know that you are in yeah yeah you know what what are you doing there? <laughs> Who led you there man? even though i walk you get very romantic with god even though i walk through the valley of the shadow we quote these verses even though i walk through the valley of the shadow god i'm going through the valley of the shadow um why are you there what are you doing there 
Why are you walking by yourself in that place? Did I call you to be a part of a community? Did I call you to be a part of my family? Sure, it doesn't look that grand. Sure, it looks like a lot of hard work. Sure, it looks like a lot of serving people. Sure, it looks like, hey, my life group, I've got to sit down and I've got to look into their eyes and I've got to talk about my life and I've got to talk about things that I'm struggling with and, I, and I've got to talk and I've got to speak into their life and they've got to speak into my life and I've got to be committed to them. Here, yeah, it looks like that. It doesn't look gram- glamorous right now, but the whole of heaven is looking at you going, oh, he needs some supernatural intervention right now. Come on. When, when you don't have money to pay your bills, it's the, it's the, we go to God in desperation. But Jesus is not leading us. Desperation is leading us to God. It's not the way. Oh, come on. Jesus is the way to the Father, not your desperation, not your perspiration and all the other nations that you want to talk about. It's not those things that lead you to God. It is not sickness, sin and disease that go to God. God, I have a headache. Please, God, heal me. No. It's Jesus that is the way, the truth and the life. And I want to encourage you, church, today that aspire to do great things by being obedient in the little things. Because when the time comes, when the time comes and you are standing before a giant, you're not going to go and pick up the biggest armor. You're going to pick up the smallest rock. And it's the little thing, that little moment of obedience that shows you I can defeat a big, the biggest giant with the smallest pebble. It's not that God's not asking you to save the whole world because his son already did that. He's asking you to serve the ones that he's saving. See, you must understand that self-dependency and self-governance really positions you. It creates a foundation of pride that robs you. It is the enemy and it robs you from... Having love, hope, and trust in God. It is the enemy. Everything that I've grown up that told me that I was awesome, everything that told me that I was qualified is actually my enemy in the kingdom. actually works against me. It leads me away. It leads me to focus on myself and not on what God has done. See, but the conscience that is really submitted before God is a conscience that is constantly matured by the word of righteousness. Constantly being renewed by righteousness. You're getting skilled at that word. And, and, and when you get skilled, you go from hearing to believing to knowing. I know God. And God knows me. That's when God begins to testify about you. He's like, hey Job, I know Job. Hey David, I know David. Hey Danny, I know Danny. Come on now. Kelsey, I know Kelsey. I know Kelsey. Kelsey knows me. We have this thing going. She's humble at heart. I can use her. She, her life is pliable. I can take her and I can place her and do whatever I want with her for my purpose. Oh God, you are so mean. No, that's actually love. I'm actually positioning her to be great. Amen. 
I want her to be great. I want Danny to be great. I want Robin to be great. I want Chris to be great. I want Angelo to be great. I want all the people in the world to experience greatness, but I want to give them greatness. So stop striving for greatness and settle to do great things because that is the will of God for your life. So today, church, I want to bless you with this word. I, I, I want to ask you to, to really allow this word to go deep into your heart. And if you need to repent right now, wherever you are in, at home or wherever you are, spend some time just really doing a, a heart search. Are you in that place of vulnerability with God? Are you in that place of humility before God? That God can take you and do whatever He wants with you. Because if He can, you will be known as the greatest in the kingdom of God. That is God's desire for your life. So we bless you. We love you. I will see you next week. Have an awesome day.